Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest and spookiest Xbox news for the week of October 31st, 2019, including It's Halloween, baby! Xbox All Access is coming back from the dead, and this time it has the option to upgrade you to the new and haunting Project Scarlet. Ubisoft delays a number of games in the wake of Ghost Recon, Breakpoints, Disappointing Performance, and more. cut for all you OG Xbox fans out there. So this week, obviously, a bunch of new games have come out, or at least over the past week, namely The Outer Worlds for all of us Xbox fans out there, as Obsidian is now an Xbox-owned studio, despite this game being multi-platform. And then, of course, just aside from that fact, The Outer Worlds is a great game. So I've been playing a lot of that. Also, I caved in and I I became the world's biggest hypocrite, broke down and bought Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare. So we're going to talk about that as well. Instead of tacking on conversation about that stuff to the end of the podcast, I thought we'd just jump in at the front. So kind of do the what I've been playing up front and center. I assume a lot of Xbox players are playing at least one of these two games this week, if not both. So definitely we'll start with all that talk and then go into the news and and continue on with the the podcast from there. Um, So yeah, like I said, I guess... (laughs) I, I broke down like a hypocrite and bought Call of Duty Modern Warfare. The day it came out, I was like, nope, I'm standing my ground. They have exclusive content on PS4 for a year. That's bullshit. That's cheating people on Xbox out of their $60. It makes the game less valuable, blah, 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 just like I did with Control. And then I remembered, or then rather I saw how much fun the game looked and I was watching some streams of it and, and saw some reviews and I was like, you know what? I, I really want to play this game and I'm, I'm not just going to go buy it on PS4 for this additional mode. I wasn't going to play either way just to put my money where my mouth is because it still saves, still serves the same point by, you know, like giving them money for this game. And I thought about it some more and basically I just caved like a little bitch and, and bought the game. So I, I deserve some some crap for that. But I don't regret buying it because th- this game is actually pretty fantastic, which I can't believe I'm actually saying. It's been a very long time since I've enjoyed a Call of Duty. But yeah, Call of Duty Modern Warfare is pretty great. I, I've played through half the campaign so far. Uh, I've ranked up to like level 20 on multiplayer. I played a little bit of that ground war mode. And it's just, it's fantastic. It's, I don't know what to say. It's the first time I've enjoyed a Call of Duty this much since Modern Warfare 2. So, you know, I'm, for a little bit of context, I'm more of like a old school Call of Duty fan, I guess you could say. Not, not like OG, like Call of Duty 1, 2, 3. I don't really care for those games that much. Uh, but, you know, Modern Warfare 1, 2, and World at War, that's kind of my stride of Call of Duty games. Anything after that, I, I, I know Black Ops is, in a lot, to a lot of people seen as like the best Call of Duty. I think starting with Black Ops is kind of where the franchise falls apart for me and where I, I lose interest personally. I think they ruin zombies. I think the campaign's a little overrated. I think the multiplayer is kind of unbalanced and broken a little bit. Um, but I mean, it's not a bad game by any means, but just for, for me, that's when Call of Duty started going downhill. And then from there, you know, Black Ops 2 and Ghosts and Advanced Warfare and all these games. I, I, I jumped on every couple of years and played when I have obligation here and there, but I really haven't cared about Call of Duty since Modern Warfare 2. So, you know, getting into this game, it looked like the most interesting Call of Duty in a long time. But then again, I also thought that with World War 2 back in 2017, which also kind of disappointed me. But no, Modern Warfare, like, it actually not only lived up to my, like, menial expectations, but actually vastly exceeded them. This is, in my opinion, not only the best Call of Duty in recent history, it's one of the best Call of Duties to date, just period. I, I think it's right up there. You know, if I take off the nostalgia lens and, and you know, how much appreciation I have for those older Call of Duties for, you know, all the time I spent playing them with friends back in middle school and high school. And I just value this game, evaluate this game, you know, just pound for pound as, as a video game. It's it's fantastic. As, as, as a Call of Duty, it is at least among the top five entries in the franchise. And that's saying a lot when you're talking about a, a franchise like Call of Duty that has like over 20 entries at this point. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's a fantastic game. So the campaign's very cinematic. The visuals are stunning. Playing through the campaign, like, Uh, obviously it's it's supposed to evoke tones of the original but it's not a reboot like some people think it is it's actually just a reimagining of this modern warfare universe so some of the characters from the original modern warfare exist in this universe but it's not like in a world where those events happened or a retelling of that story it's just like a new imagining of this world where these characters exist and it's pretty great Um, i won't get too much into the story beats but i will just say that uh, the characters are likable 
The story is actually immersive, which is which is really hard for a Call of Duty. Uh, yes, it has all those big blow-up set pieces like a Michael Bay movie, which you've come to expect from a Call of Duty game. And most importantly, the level the level variety, the mission structure is really varied. So it's not too stale. It's not. Th- this was my problem with Call of Duty World War II was it was like a cool Call of Duty. It was one of the better ones in recent years. But every level felt like the exact same thing. It just always felt like this cover-based brutal shooting and it was fine but it just it got really old really fast whereas modern warfare has a lot of variety there these missions they're like stealth missions there are just more cinematic almost like walking simulator aspects to the campaign which is crazy for a call of duty there's every level like really encourages a varied a variety of gunplay so you really use a lot of weapons uh, a lot of of vast diversity in settings and just like the missions range from like short and sweet to like kind of medium length and so far you know i Again, I'm only halfway through it. No mission has been like too long to where it's just like, okay, it's time for this to end. So just really big thumbs up on the campaign. I can't believe I like the characters. I'm invested in the story and it's it's been fun from from start to where I'm at so far. I haven't I haven't experienced a dull moment yet, which is just really saying a lot, especially because Call of Duty games, you know, the campaign, especially in recent years, has become more of an afterthought than like the main entree of the game. So just the fact that, you know, they put so much focus into this campaign and it's panned out and become, you know, a memorable experience. is just really exciting. So in addition to that, the multiplayer, I think, is fantastic. Uh, just to get my gripes out of the way with it, I think a lot of the maps are very sniper focused, which I think is something that Call of Duty has been leaning into more and more in recent years. It's just very sniper friendly. But if I'm being if, to be fair, I feel like the original Modern Warfare was also pretty sniper friendly but if you're not a sniper if you're like me and you look at call of duty as a chance to run and gun um that's a little disappointing um but overall the maps are pretty strong um there's one map in particular i think it's called like piccadilly it's in, it's in london and i fucking hate it it's just impossible for me to wrap my brain around it's just a very confusing looking map but other than that i think the maps are, are pretty strong the weapons are really good so far i'm using the uh the like early download version of the m4 that's like all souped up and everything it's pretty great just in general the realism mode's really awesome if you want to play that it takes away the hud and everything and really pushes that teamwork and kind of makes makes you step back and be less running gun which is like the staple of call of duty and kind of think more about your movements and play a little more tactically um the ground war mode which is like the open big team battle mode is very much like battlefield uh but actually good unlike battlefield which is just always such a slog to play of a shooter in my opinion um so it's just i don't know everything about this game i'm just really high on it particularly my favorite addition or feature to this game is the kind of ability to mount your gun so you can i've always viewed call of duty as kind of like the the best paintball game of all the shooters out there in the world even better than any paintball game when you know paintball games were actually a thing as a big paintball fan i feel like call of duty is such a good adaptation of paintball because it's such a you know low time to kill it's basically one to two shots kills your guy um so it's just very fast action game uh but it doesn't always have the cover based mechanics that kind of align with paintball not that that not that anyone in the fucking world is looking at call of duty as a a video game substitute for paintball except me of course but what i really like about it is they have this new mechanic where you can kind of uh, snap into combat into cover rather and then like mount your gun to the wall or to the bottom of a bunker and then kind of pop out and, and snap shoot which I really love because because it allows you to kind of really utilize cover more especially if you're on a map where I think this really balances for players like me who don't want to snipe it really balances those sniper maps out a lot so if you're in a position where you're not good at sniping and you don't want to snipe but you're in a map where everyone else is sniping and you're constantly being shot every time you run this really allows you to play a little more stealthily but still use kind of the guns you want for which for me would be something like an assault rifle so you can kind of take cover and like find find out where your target is and then kind of snap shoot them uh, which it, again makes it to me it's like more like call of duty becoming paintball to me which is a lot of fun because it's something i enjoy and just uh the the mechanic works so well you can you can st- you kind of aim down sights and then just snap into like a window or a target and shoot your guy and you can also reload while you're in uh, aim down sights or while you're uh, snap shooting so it just it really makes the the combat a lot more dynamic and versatile without really compromising the core mechanics of, of call of duty as a lot of more recent call of duties have done with kind of like your double jump and your wall running which just kind of really screwed with the with the formula so i feel like this was a really tasteful way of kind of elevating and adding to the gameplay while also really remaining true to not only what call of duty's traditionally been but what modern warfare fans expected from another modern warfare game so nothing but thumbs up all around for call of duty modern warfare if you haven't played that game 
I'm sorry. I know it's hypocritical of me. What I was saying earlier about kind of boycotting it for the exclusive uh, content that was only on PlayStation for the first year, but this game is really good. And if you're like me and you were a lapsed Call of Duty fan, you're looking to get back into the franchise or this game has piqued your interest for the first time in a long time. I really think it's worth a try. And even without that survival map that is only on PlayStation, which I, this sounds kind of like, you know, revisionist history thing. I wasn't really excited about playing it anyway. Um, so, and it seems like kind of an afterthought of a mode. It's just one map and, and people don't seem to be taking to it all that much. So it seems like you're not missing out on any of the core content, which really isn't the point, you know, of the exclusivity bullshit. It's still, it's still not right just in principle that one console gets a mode for, for a full year before another one does. But if you were worrying that like a core element of this game is missing on Xbox, it's not. Uh, I mean, of course, the core tenants are the multiplayer and the campaign, which are there in full swing. And this game, just as a side note, it's also cross-play, which you can toggle on and off. So make sure you're aware of that if you don't want to get smashed by some PC nerds. In addition to that, I think the benefit of of it being cross-play, and this is, I think, the consequence, the reason why Xbox got shortchanged on that survival mode is because with the game being cross-play, it means all DLC is released on all platforms at the same time because otherwise it would fuck over the player base and screw up the ability to do cross-play, which is, I, I think that was their reasoning for going exclusive mode on PlayStation rather than the traditional three months timed content DLC that Call of Duty has been known to do um, ever since like what Black Ops Modern Warfare 2. So yeah, so that's just my my quick notes on, on Call of Duty. Haven't played it a lot this week. I'm excited to play a whole lot more of it. Um, and I really think, like I said, if you're if you're even remotely interested in this game, uh, or if you're a lapsed Call of Duty player, this might be the one to get you back in. I, I see. I think the sentiment I have towards this game seems to be pretty universal throughout the community, and a lot of people are getting back into Call of Duty as a result of this game, which is just really exciting to see. Because I know as a gamer, it's it, or in the gaming community, it's it, it's been popular to kind of hate on Call of Duty, but Call of Duty, like we have to remind ourselves, the reason it's so big isn't because like for an arbitrary reason it's because call of duty is a good game it was a great game at one point and it stayed consistent in at least being decent or good it's become kind of like a junk food comfort kind of annualized franchise for a lot of more casual gamers but even for us more hardcore gamers there was a point in time where pretty much everyone loved call of duty it was like a halo at one point where it was just a fantastic franchise and i think this is the closest we've come back to that point since so it's just I don't know. It's just a really great time to celebrate this franchise kind of being at its peak again and, and a great opportunity for people to kind of set aside their stupid, you know, arbitrary hatred of a franchise and maybe just enjoy a good game because it's a good game. So that's Call of Duty. The other game I've been playing, of course, The Outer Worlds. Um, this game is also really fantastic. To preface with this game, I'm not traditionally a big RPG person at all, whether it be JRPG, Western RPG. Um, if I'm going to lean into an RPG-type game, it's going to be something more akin to this. You know, whereas, like, with a Japanese role-playing game, the reason why I usually hate those games is because it's very grindy. It's extremely, like heavy on the combat which gets really repetitive and redundant after a while the stories are convoluted and the games last 60 hours with games like this it's kind of a different ball game but still the main problem is being that these games are super long it's 60 hours i don't want to waste on a video game but you know unlike my my traditional gripes with like a skyrim or a fallout or something like that what i really love about the outer worlds is that it's not too long it's not too long in the tooth it's not too combat heavy it's not too dialogue heavy it's kind of what you make of it uh, and i know that's kind of a tired and cliche thing to say about a game especially in an era where every game plan claims to be you know three things you know it's all about open world player agency and kind of you you really affecting what the game can be you know not only not only through your player but kind of the world around you and the thing about outer worlds is it's probably the best representation of this claim i've ever seen and i really appreciate obsidian kind of coming up to the forefront and being honest that this game isn't about being the most expansive and massive open world you've ever explored and everything it's really more of a tight and kind of contained open world experience while also offering and delving deeper than possibly any game in this branch in this in this genre before it in terms of player choice and kind of your affecting of the game normally like I've, I've said on this podcast before i'm the kind of gamer where i prefer for the developer to make a compelling character create a narrative that's linear and then let me explore you know have me control that character and explore the story and this character in this world that you've cut out for me, the player, rather than this kind of more modern approach where it's always like, here's a massive empty world. Here's a blank canvas of a character. Create what they look like. Choose their skin color, their gender, and their hair. And then that's you. I hate that because that's not really player agency to me. That's lazy. I think to me, it's it's far better for you to create a compelling character 
that's so interesting that whether or not they're like me, I can relate to them because they're so compelling as a character, as you would have that be the case, you know, in a movie or a book. Whereas, you know, we keep getting this marketing PR bullshit fed to us that like player agency is, you know, creating a character, choosing a skin color, choosing a gender, choosing choosing a hairstyle, choosing an alpha. It's like, to me, that's not player agency because you play a game like Skyrim. It's like, sure, my, my character looks, you know, the way I want them to look because I got to design them aesthetically, but the character's boring as shit because when you make a game so expansive, so open-ended, you're, you ha- it comes at the, it comes at the mercy or the, the compromise of, you know, the, the content, the story, the narrative, the character. And I don't think, you know, being able to choose, do I kill this guy or do I persuade him into letting me through the door as like, wow, I really feel like I am this character. Whereas you play a game like The Last of Us and who gives a shit that you play as a lesbian female and I'm a white straight male. It's like I relate to Ellie because she's a really interesting character and she's very compelling. And so I relate far more to playing like a a linear single single player narrative driven game like The Last of Us because Naughty Dog has created a really interesting universe with a really interesting character as opposed to playing a game like Fallout 4 where, oh, look, my character has blonde swooshy hair and he's white and and he wears like emo pants. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to relate to him, even though he's boring as shit. He's two dimensional as shit. And there's nothing about the character that's interesting. I know it's a long tangent, but what I'm getting at is the, the Outer Worlds kind of somehow meets in the middle and compromises on this in that it's so incredibly heavily focused on its on its writing and its comedy and its player choice that it gets as close to that kind of open-ended you choose the narrative you choose the character being like that kind of relation it kind of gets as close to that being accurate and faithful as we've ever seen before and and what i mean by that is your again your character is mute your character is not super interesting the the things you say and the, the choices you make are all you know text-based or action-based it's not you know your character actually talking but your ability to kind of really affect the game and not have it you know not not just how do I say this rather than kind of just making a choice and being like okay you have the, the option to kill this guy or persuade this guy to let you through the door it's more like it doesn't matter it's not about the way I choose to go about this scenario leads me to you know the solution or the answer you know regardless of whether or not I choose to kill this person or persuade them either way normally in a game like this I'm just going to end up on the other end of the door right it's just two ways to get to the same point but what makes the outer world so interesting is it's like whether I choose to kill him or whether I choose to persuade him to get to the other side of the door is going to change literally everything about the game it's going to change how people perceive me it's going to change what stats I have, it's going to change what my what my companions say to me and think about me, and then it changes the quest line. So it's like it's no longer about like the same objective. It's like we can get carried away from whatever the main quest line is and go down a totally different path now because I made X choice. And to me, it's like again, that's I, I normally I'm the kind of person I just prefer for you to make a story and have me experience it. But this is the closest to where it's like, okay, player agency does mean something and it, it is here to an extent because the game really will go like, here's your main quest line. You can still roll the credits by just ignoring that main quest line and then breaking every convention we set up for you by like doing the opposite of what every quest wants you to do. And that's really, it's really compelling and it's really interesting. And this game does it quite well. And I think what really, what really elevates this isn't just the fact that, you know, by making your choice, you can totally divert what's intended to be the main quest, but you can also, it's also just really laughable because the game is constantly trying to be funny. The game is constantly just trying to, trying to intrigue you and and make you just try something different just for the sake of like, I I don't know, like for example, one thing I really appreciate about the game is you can just pretty much avoid combat altogether if you, if you're not interested in, in combat, which is just so cool to me because not only is it like, it's, it's not my way of saying, you know, I'm a pacifist. I hate shooting people in games. I hate, I hate destroying characters, but it's like, how will they write around this, work around this story if I just choose not to kill people, if I just choose to do this? And they always have a weird workaround for it. It's just so funny. Um, like I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about a game and they were talking about this main quest line where, you know, like it's pretty early in the game where there's someone who who sells you something you need to travel to this planet. So I can basically just kill the person and then fuck them over and then crap, I have to find my way to this planet. And so you have to do this total workaround and you travel to the planet and now you're in this area, you're in this of, of the, the planet you have to go to where like enemies are incredibly grueling and hard to fight. 
Um, or you can just save up the money, buy the thing you need off the person, and then go to the same planet you need to go to, but it takes you to a different aspect of the planet because you have the thing you need, and now you're taken into a town where there's people, and there's a culture, and there's a world to explore, and there's no big enemies to fight, and it's a lot easier and just in terms of combat difficulty. And it's just like, it's literally two different arcs of the game that take you technically to the same planet but literally to two sides of it which feel incredibly different because i played out both scenarios i loaded back to my save just to kind of test how different one would be from the other and it's literally just an entirely different game it's one of those and that's what i really appreciate about this game is it's not it's not a you beat it and then you play around this open world for hundreds of hours and explore everything it's like you play the game multiple times and every time you play it you play a different game essentially because I mean, I, I played through that first route for like an hour before I loaded back to my previous save and then did the way I was I, the other alternative option. And it was just entirely different game. The quest line completely changed in one in one as, in one um, scenario. I didn't even have to go to that town or meet those people or meet that new companion or take that new quest line. I just basically diverted all of the story by just playing through this open environment of like grueling enemies but then i loaded back to my save and i took the other route and now i'm exploring this town i met this new companion i started a new quest line i explored this new like outpost and then this new like kind of open environment with a different enemy type it's just incredible the, the game is just entirely different depending on those decisions you make which obviously is you know the selling point in a game like this but What's impressive to me is that it's the first time I've played a game like this where I've really felt like that was the selling point and not just kind of the marketing jargon or the kind of, you know, the kind of bullshit cliche of, of, of the genre. So Outer Worlds is really incredible. I will also say, you know, that was incredibly long-winded, but I will also just say the the gun, the combat, the guns, they feel pretty great. Um, there's a great variety of them. There's melee weapons, and they range from, like, traditional guns to, like, wacky, zany sci-fi weapons. Uh, it's like a gravity hammer type thing that I keep using. Just all these crazy weapons. And the combat, you know, while it's no Call of Duty, it's no Halo, it's no Wolfenstein kind of first-person shooting combat, it definitely feels a lot better than like your Fallout, Fallout 4 kind of combat that just, I, I don't know why, it just always feels so choppy and janky. Um, and they have a kind of VATS alternative. It's a, it's a meter that fills up on its own and it slows down combat time for a limited amount of time. So you can kind of like get these focused shots if you're fighting a large group of enemies, um, which is pretty cool. And then your, your companions, you can level them up and they can actually become quite powerful and really help you on battles. They're not just support. They can actually get to a point where they're more powerful and more impactful in the combat than you are. Just overall, the game is aesthetically beautiful. The worlds look really interesting. It looks kind of like No Man's Sky kind of color palette, um, but with actual like well built worlds where every like area you explore actually like matters it's not just a bunch of open empty space like a zelda breath of the wild where you're just exploring nothing and it's just open for the sake of being open um and also just most importantly nothing is too open which is my favorite part the game kind of feels linear despite being so open-ended in how you approach it which is what i most like about the game i haven't gotten lost once i haven't gotten to a point where i'm just like trying to get from point a to point b but it's such a long trek because it's such a big world it's like you just fly your ship here you walk into the outpost you fly your ship there you you walk into that cave but everything's kind of close in proximity while feels while still feeling open it's just very well put together very well done game the writing's really nice although i do feel like i'm a little lost on some of the humor as most of it seems to be like a nod to various uh sci-fi franchises and shows and video games so as someone who who's only kind of familiar with fallout uh, and hasn't played the other things that have inspired this game. Um, I'm not too familiar with with some of the nods, but overall the the writing is very well done and, and very funny. So huge thumbs up to Outer Worlds. Remember, this game is available for free via Xbox Game Pass, and Obsidian is now an Xbox-owned studio. So if there is to be a sequel to this game, maybe it will be an Xbox exclusive. I don't know how that works because I don't know what the previous publishing deal is for Outer Worlds, if Obsidian fully owns that IP or how that works. But And this game is leaps and bounds better than you know the games it, it strives to be like, which is like your Fallout kind of games and things like that. So it's just... This game is proof that Obsidian was a big get for Microsoft, and they are going to continue to make some some great content for this platform. So just an awesome game all around. But now with all of that said, all of my impressions of those, of those two games out of the way, let's jump into this week's news, uh, which is a little bit of a shorter news week, but that should be expected as all the big fall games have started to come out. Now we're kind of into that lull in terms of information. So let's just jump into the news. 
All right, so we only have like six news stories this week, but a couple of them are pretty notable. So some interesting stuff to dig into. Starting out, I just want to start with a lighter one again in celebration of the greatest holiday of the year, Halloween. Uh, let's start out by listing out a final roundup of Xbox games with Halloween tie-in events or uh, tie-in modes that were announced this week in celebration of uh, you know our favorite holiday. A few games have begun some new Halloween events in the past week since our last episode, so just to kind of list them off, these come from Xbox Wire. Uh, we've already talked over some of them, like Apex Legends and Destiny 2 and things like that. But additionally, we've got a uh, pumpkin ball in Gears 5, so the, the Xbox Wire post reads, Celebrate Halloween in Gears 5 with the pumpkin ball event versus featuring oversized jack-o'-lantern heads, or take part in a 20-wave horde event, The Man's Monster, featuring Halloween-themed swarm enemies. Both events include earnable rewards and are online through November 5th at 10 p.m. And if you want more, Gears Pop, the mobile game, is also getting a spirit of the Hordeween event uh, running now from November 1st. So that's like a, basically a one-day event if you're listening to this podcast today on Halloween. All right, our next one is the um, Overwatch event. I know Overwatch is a, a horrible, horrible plague on this world, but we'll, we'll push through anyway. Uh, Overwatch is coming back with 2019's version of, uh, of, the, of the Halloween terror event, which means we can look forward to some spooky events and in, in even spookier looks. Uh, the, the description reads, you'll have the chance to earn five new legend skins, three new epic skins, in addition to new sprays, icons, emotes, uh, God fucking damn it. We're going to just skip on to, to State of Decay 2, another Xbox game. That the swine and bovine Halloween costume pays gory tribute to the chain of restaurants dotting the abandoned landscapes of State of Decay 1 and 2. Players can unlock this new limited time outfit by playing State of Decay 2 until Halloween. And uh, that's a little thing you can unlock. The next one is the Witches Festival in the Elder Scrolls Online. This runs through November 4th. Basically, it's an in-game event that you can start off by uh, competing the Witch Mother's Bargain Quest uh, in the Crown Store. You'll have to use the Witch Mother's Whistle that you get as a reward to summon the Witch Mother's Cauldron, which grants you and your party a 2-hour 100 XP buff that stacks with all other XP bonuses. And then there's some more stuff like collectibles and costumes. Uh, So you can look forward to that if you play that game. And then Rainbow Six Siege has a survival kind of Halloween event. Let's see. It's a. It says a band of exterminators have been called in to reclaim a doctor's a a castle house. Okay, whatever that means. Basically, now through November six, players can play the special hide and seek game mode, where the defenders must try and survive until the end of the round, unless they can manage to eliminate powerful the powerful attackers first. Does your team have what it takes to survive Doctor's Curse? So if you play Rainbow Six Siege, and then the last one we have here is a Rocket League one, and it's themed to the Netflix show Stranger Things. So it says, Stranger Things have invaded this year's Halloween event in Rocket League on Xbox One. Available now through November 11th, plays a chilling version of the Farmstead Arena that now has watched over by the terrifying Mind Flayer in the Upside Down. If you're able to make it out of Farmstead in one piece, you'll earn a candy corn that can be used uh, in the Haunted Hollows event store that houses some extra specials like a Demogorgon player banner, a Scoops Ahoy avatar border, and a Hawaiian hopper decal, plus some top secret wares developed by Hawkins National Library La- Laboratory. Sorry, well, that's cool. No one's still playing Rocket League and getting that shit. So that's just a couple Halloween events. But to get into our first real news story, this is a big one mentioned at the top of the show. So Microsoft, in their continued effort to be the greatest game company with the greatest deals in video game history, um, has brought back Xbox All Access. And this time you can even get a Project Scarlet console through this service. So for those that don't remember, this was something they did last year for a short period of time. It was essentially a subscription thing where you would you would finance either an Xbox One S or One X, and it would come with Xbox Live and Game Pass, and it was like a two-year subscription. So it was like a two-year finance subscription deal where you got the console, controller, those two subscription services, and then by the time you're done financing it, you really didn't pay anything extra for the console. If anything, you saved money, and it was just a, an incredible value. Uh, for players looking for a cheap way to get into the Xbox ecosystem. Um, so now they're bringing that back, and they're saying it's coming back, and it'll be available in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, and players will be able to get in for as little as $20 a month, which means regardless of which subscription you choose, again, you'll be saving tons of money versus buying all these services and consoles individually. To break down the options, basically, we'll get into that Scarlet thing in just a second, but to, to break down the options, basically, when you get it, you get your Xbox console, whether you choose the One S 
the One X or the All Digital Edition, which is available for US and UK. But if you're in Australia, you'll have the option between an Xbox One X Forza Horizon 4 bundle or an Xbox One S Forza Horizon 4 bundle. Of course, it comes with a controller as well as a two-month subscription to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which of course is Xbox Live Gold and Game Pass in one service. And then you also have the option to upgrade to a, pro- a Project Scarlet once it's available next holiday season. Basically, if, you, if you're interested in signing up, or actually, before we get into that, let's just say, so basically, it's like it's like $20 a month for the 1S or the digital one, and I think it's like $30 a month for the 1X. So basically, you're paying like 30, let's say you go with the 1X, you're paying 30 bucks for two years, you get a 1X and Xbox Live and Game Pass and a controller and all that shit for for two years 30 bucks a month and then at the end of that you get to switch over or at the end of next year you get to switch it over to a project scarlet you get next generation's console so basically you're paying 30 bucks a month and you just always had the latest xbox hardware access to all the services and then of course through game pass you get all the latest like hundreds of over 100 games available to you plus brand new games like outer worlds gears 5 and more xbox first party games as they continue to roll out and it's just such a fucking great value for 30 bucks and if you want it even cheaper you can just start for 20 bucks a month and get the 1s so again this is a fantastic value another one of those like how can we get people in the door uh, into our platform for cheap and uh, at the end of the day it's not even like most things you finance where you end up paying a bunch of extra money by the time all said and done you actually save money so this is just fucking ridiculous by the end of it it's basically like the cost of the console itself and you get the subscription services for free essentially you can sign up for xbox all access uh, in the following ways so you have to qualify with a financing partner in the u.s it's citizen bank in the uk it's uh, klarna 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 fucking brits and then in australia it's telstra those are i guess financial institutions um but in the u.s we got citizen bank so once you get approved i assume they do a background check it's it's a finance type deal anyway you just complete your purchase with the retailer uh and the retailers are as follows um in the u.s it's amazon.com exclusively in the uk it's in store at game or in store or online at smith's toys and in Australia, it's in person or online at Telstra. So couple couples options, I guess, if you're in the U.S. here, uh, you really just have the one option, Amazon Doc. Um, and then lastly, the uh, you can you can get it on Xbox All Access right now. It's already begun. So in Australia, so if you're in Australia, go ahead and, and jump on that shit now. If you're looking to get an Xbox One X and then upgrade to a Scarlet, um, if you're in the UK, it begins in just a few days on November 5th. And here in the US, we got a couple of weeks till it begins on November 18th. So this again, it's just one of those incredible services incredible values that xbox has it's one of those how can we grow our player base and make it as big as humanly possible before we go into next generation so because again this is this is one of those things that's going to be so critical to next generation if you look at what we know what xbox is doing ramping up for the next generation and then we look at what sony and playstation are doing for their next generation of hardware the the one thing that's that's kind of like the kind of difference between the two is xbox is really gearing up for a super powerful like swing and dick, big generation of games. You know, they have all these new studios developing all these new games. They have all these new services that are super robust and super usually fr- user friendly and super well priced. And then they ha- they're building what they're touting to be the super powerful next generation box that's going to cater to gamers and have games, games, games. And then on top of all that, they're going to have all these services like xCloud and game streaming where you can just play your Xbox games no matter where you are. They're really positioning Xbox, as I keep saying, to be as powerful and as big as possible. But on the con- on the converse side, you've got PlayStation where they're kind of teasing PS5 and they're just like, it's going to be powerful. It might have backwards compatibility. We're trying to figure that out. It's going to play games. But I think the reason why they're like that is because PlayStation knows it's like, we're just going to do the same thing we've always done. We're going to make a console that's competitively priced and powerful that plays video games and caters to gamers. Even though their services are kind of weak, they might not they might not be able to pull off backwards compatibility. They're just looking into it slash working on it. And we don't really know much about what their studios or anyone's doing for that console. Whereas with Xbox, we know a lot. Now, again, that's dangerous. That could be a dangerous thing where maybe Xbox has kind of blown their wad early and kind of told us so much about what's happening next gen that by the time PlayStation comes out, they could have a bunch of curveballs, a bunch of things we didn't see coming. And maybe the PS5 is like super robust and amazing. Maybe maybe they made PlayStation Now and PlayStation Network not suck so much and they'll be better than Xbox Live. We don't know. Uh, but it's just PlayStation's playing a really quiet game, whereas Xbox is being really competitive. And I think what really matters when the next generation rolls out is 
will PlayStation be the ro- most robust place to play games and have gaming services, or will Xbox be? And if they're both extremely competitive, then it's going to be really easy for people on PS4 to just stay with PlayStation since that's the ecosystem they're already embedded in. And then same thing for Xbox fans. If Xbox Scarlet is an incredible device, it's going to be so easy for Xbox gamers to stay with Xbox because they're already embedded in that ecosystem. But when PlayStation 4 has outsold Xbox One 2 to 1, you know, it's going to be so much easier for the larger majority of the built-in gaming console player base to stick with the side that's already won this generation. That's what's so so critical to keep in mind is last generation, the PlayStation 3 and Xbox One were kind of neck and neck in sales. And then the PlayStation 4 was able to kind of poach so many of those Xbox 360 gamers this generation because the, it was the... Because the PS4, or because rather, because even though the Xbox 360 was about, you know, your platform, your community, at the end of the day, it was really about, like, the games you owned on disc and your achievement points. But this generation has changed the game so much because now we have almost over half of gamers, you know, buying their games digitally and getting free games with gold and PS Plus games every month. And, you know, friend online gaming is bigger than it's ever been. And we play all these games as a service and only some of them are cross-play. So it's so critical for Xbox to get as many games cross-play as possible to position their services to be the best and most affordable and most user-friendly as possible to offer you to be able to play Xbox content everywhere you can. Because if PS5 and Xbox Scarlet come out, and they're both pretty neck and neck in terms of power, services, capabilities. Why do these 100 million PlayStation 4 gamers need to jump ship to Xbox? Because they're already on PlayStation where the services are good, the games are good, the games are there, the console's powerful, you know? Why do they need to lose their trophies, their friends lists, their their kind of communities within these open world games and these uh, games as a service games and all these digitally downloaded games they've accrued uh, via purchases and PlayStation Plus. It's Xbox really has a lot to a lot more to fight for to get people from PS4 over to Xbox Scarlet than PlayStation had getting people over from 360 to PS4. If that makes sense, it's just because we're more embedded in these ecosystems than ever before. So it's going to take, even though of course at the end of the day and when it comes to marketing. Uh, we really have to position this as games, 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 because that's all gamers want to hear. It really is about a lot more than games. And it's about, you know, will these games be cross-play? Can someone jump ship to Xbox because, well, you know, I always play Destiny with my friends, but, you know, now it's cross-play. I guess I can play on Xbox Scarlet. You know, I guess I don't need PS4. I guess I don't need to keep with PS5 to play with my friends. I could go to Xbox because now the game's cross-play. So that's really critical for Microsoft, right? And and things like that. So it's just really, I think initiatives like this are let's swoop up and try to get as many people on Team Xbox as possible going into the next generation so we can position this brand and we can position this console to really thrive on the Scarlet because Again, when people are so deeply embedded on their platform, it's it's going to be really hard to pry people away. And that's, you know, that we see that battle happening every day on PC. That's why the Epic Store has to be so cutthroat and so brutal to get people over from Steam. That's why initiatives like EA's Origin and Ubisoft's Uplay and all these other services keep failing. And even to an extent, Xbox on PC is, has has failed to do a touch of what of what steam does because steam is just so competitive it's so massive and it's where so much of the player base is that good luck getting people to jump ship at this point they're so deeply embedded in that community in that ecosystem so anyway that but again this is a great this is a great service this is a great option for people looking for an affordable way to get in on the xbox uh, brand and it's really incentivizing when when you have a cheap way to get into next generation's hardware which is of course the big key factor in all of this our next story is that uh, Ninja Theory, Xbox's recently acquired UK-based studio behind the critically acclaimed Hellblade, S- Senua Sacrifice, and the upcoming 4v4 multiplayer game Bleeding Edge, are embarking on a new project that utilizes themes explored throughout Hellblade uh, with industry-leading gaming technology. Although the end result is not a traditional video game, but rather a new R&D effort driven by technology and gaming to explore, discover, and relay the struggles behind mental illness. From the Xbox Wire, it read, the post reads, The Insight project will take shape over several years, but it is being announced early to encourage an open and transparent approach to its development. It is an exploratory but experimental guide project 
that aims to deliver a mainstream solution to help treat mental suffering and encourage mental well-being. We plan a program of gaming, technology, and scientific development that will lead self-contained, individualized, and absorbing game experiences which people can become an expert at recognizing, responding to, and ultimately controlling their own fear, anxiety, and other social negative subjective experience. The work will be underpinned by rigorous science principles to ensure its effectiveness and validity and will adhere to strict standards of ethics and data management. This approach will be widely and conveniently applicable, flexible to the needs of the individual, and critically enjoying and observing in its ways that will ensure enthusiastic engagement leading to make a sustainable change. Our goal is to help create and inspire a movement to help mental health treatment go mainstream. We hope you'll join us. So... This is a super interesting one. I know it's like a little wordy and a little like uh, scholarly. For those that don't know, there's a video that was released by Ninja Theory if you want to go watch it and give, get some more context for the story. But Hellblade was made in conjunction with basically a mental health uh, a psychologist, the, the scientist, and just like a team of people who just kind of study the inner the inner workings of like a, a person struggling with with mental illness that game was uh, praised um critically um for its for its kind of themes and uh, tackling of of mental health um in its main character so that's a game i still have been meaning to get around to but i know that that's uh, the thing that people really remember hellblade for so that's awesome but what we're seeing here is that Ninja Theory is actually not working on a game. They're taking the successful aspects of Hellblade and using that to kind of explore in interactive media and in technology ways that we can help not only people with mental illness, but people who don't have mental illness to kind of to kind of see like, how does a person who struggles with anxiety or depression think? Why do they think this way? Why does it work this way? What are the signs of this? And to kind of engage with these these ideas and these complicated issues in new ways that really evolve our understanding and our conversation around mental illness which is just super interesting because this is not to take such an important subject and, and turn it into like a, a corporate or fanboy kind of discussion but this is a very microsoft thing to do is to acquire a game developer and not have them go to work on a video game immediately that's going to make them a bunch of money but rather to R&D and develop this non-gaming related thing that explores new technology. This is exactly what makes Microsoft a Microsoft. This is a very Microsoft thing to do. They say, hey, hey, video game studio, here's a bunch of money. Go explore new ways that tech can empower people, which I, I know that sounds like it sounds like I fucking work for Microsoft, like I'm a fucking robot for this corporation. But it, this is very much a Microsoft thing. This is like the adaptive controller. This is like what Microsoft does with their with their AI technology that they've been innovating on and working with. This is like what Bill Gates left Microsoft to go do. This has always been at the heart of Microsoft. It's like technology is so much more than entertainment. It's so much more than just what we see it as on face value. It's productive. And it's this thing that helps to empower and explore the future. This is like if you follow literally anything Microsoft ever does, watch a fucking Microsoft press conference outside of Xbox. It's like it's like fucking dry as shit compared to like an Apple press conference. They just talk about empowering and productivity. This is this is saying we bought a studio that's known for making video games and we want them to take what they've learned and what they've already the, the foundation they've built in making this game about mental health and see how they can utilize that technological aspect of gaming and that thematic exploration of mental illness and mental health and kind of combine them into something that will empower people who have access to technology, people struggling with mental health, people who know or love someone struggling with mental health. And it's just, it's so fucking stupidly Microsoft. It isn't funny, but this is actually really an awesome initiative. So just remember Ninja Theory is working on a video game right now. It's called Bleeding Edge. They just did a multiplayer beta for it on PC. They've already done a Xbox One multiplayer beta for it. So I assume that is a smaller, t or that is the larger team, rather, of Ninja Theory working on that game. And so I, I assumed in the back of my mind that somewhere at Ninja Theory they were working on a second, more ambitious game, a, a, like a Hellblade 2 or something in that vein where it's like more of a narrative, single-player-focused game, whereas Bleeding Edge probably aspires to be more of like a games-as-service multiplayer offering. But no, it looks like what's actually happening is they have that second team working on this instead, which is just so interesting. And it's hard for me to really contextualize and, and tell you exactly what this is because we don't really know yet, right? And I have a tiny brain. It's hard for me to really extrapolate what they're talking about and really make some kind of concrete judgment as to what this end product might potentially look like. But in my in my estimation, maybe it's something like it could be something like like something you pop into your disc or, or you pop a disc into your Xbox or download like you would a game, but it's really just a 
kind of insight using VR and AR and motion controls and and just kind of exploring, you know, people with mental illness and kind of what that means and kind of allowing like these complex visuals of of what what's happening in a person's brain, what kind of chemical compounds and, and whatever neurological connections are being made that make people kind of off and think the ways they do and react the ways they do in certain circumstances to kind of help not only make people who struggle with these problems more understanding of their own conditions and more accepting of their, their own selves, but to help people who don't struggle with these things to kind of get it get a better grasp and and learn kind of what their fellow man is dealing with and, and kind of what it's like to be on the other side of this of this battle here. So it's just, again, I, I have no idea what this looks like at the end project. It's so, it's so vague. Um, and if you watch the video, you see people like working on computers, modeling things. You see like uh, character models from, from uh, Hellblade. You see someone working in VR. You see someone working with AR. And you see someone working with that new eye adaptive um, technology Microsoft's been working on. They're slowly implementing it into Windows 10 and in their new Surface devices. And they've been talking about it lately. Not so much Xbox, but Microsoft has been talking about using this eye tracking technology to play games for people with like physical disabilities that aren't able to play video games. Kind of being able to use eye, eye tracking technology to to play some more rudimentary type games and and kind of you see a little bit of that technology being used in this in this developer video that they released. So to some extent, I, I assume this is going to be a culmination of all the really weird, really like kind of sci-fi technologies Microsoft's been working on, a lot of their computer AI technology, and kind of using that as a jumping point, using games as kind of a, a gateway, and then these evolving technologies as a jumping point to explore mental health. So again, I'm going to stop with this one because I don't, I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you what any of this means or where we're heading, but I just think this is a really exciting project, and I think it's just so so funny that they bought a, a video game studio that's so renowned for this narrative-driven single-player game, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you guys want to go explore mental health and use technology as a as a vehicle to kind of engage with an audience about mental health? Go do that. Yeah, don't make a video game. Just go do that. And just I don't know, it's cool. And this is the kind of stuff that really can make a difference, depending on you know what they're able to do now with with a Microsoft budget and with time to develop this stuff and and with time access to an audience that's that's willing to engage with something like whatever they're making so jumping i'm not going to stop until i stop myself so let's just jump into the next story and that is that uh, or this week xbox began rolling out a preview of xbox console streaming for xbox insiders and you can try it now using an android phone or a tablet uh an android tablet that is um, whoever the hell has an Android tablet. The new console feature differs from the upcoming Project X Cloud streaming technology in that the Xbox console streaming will actually be streaming games from your Xbox to your smart device as opposed to utilizing a streaming service via Microsoft's Azure Cloud technology. The best part, you don't even need to be near your Xbox for it to work. So ideally, you could be playing your Xbox from your cell phone while you're on uh, the train. Meanwhile, back at home, your Xbox is on powering the whole thing. So basically just using your Xbox as a hub to wirelessly transmit into stream games to your phone, which is pretty fucking cool. So similar to xCloud, this service offers way more ways for players to play Xbox games anywhere, anytime, and on any device. So if you're in the uh, Insider uh, group on Xbox, you can get in on that now. You can download the app for it. It's called like Console Streaming. Um, you also have to download it on your Android phone and you have to meet some requirements like having Bluetooth 4.1 or higher and things like that, having a decent Android device that can handle it. But yeah, if that's something you're interested in getting in on between that and Project X Cloud, we keep inching ever so closer to this uh, the streaming future, which, you know, like I said, people are starting to use these technologies and they have good things to say about it. Apparently, these technologies work. You know, they're not perfect, but for early tech demos, for early stages of development, for betas, these technologies are, are quite impressive. So this shit's coming whether you like it or not. You fucking nerds get ready to play your Xbox on your iPhone. Our next story and kind of our or part of our wrap up. Um, we just got these two little wrap up stories and that is that, uh, or actually, no, we have three more, but so, some smaller, more wrap up esque stories. We've got a new limited edition Xbox controller, which is coming out November 14th, directly after the X 19 episode of Xbox insider. So for those who aren't familiar, X 19 is happening in London this year. Uh, there will be an Xbox insider streamed live for all of us at home to watch. And at the event, they're going to launch or release a new controller. Uh, it's just a regular Xbox game controller, but it has this really striking design. The design is made in conjunction with DPM Studio. They are a camouflage division of London-based streetwear label uh, Maharashi. 
This brand seeks to redefine camo um, by removing its association with military and retooling camo and camo, camo patterns to focus on the artistic aesthetic of the pattern rather than the kind of militaristic association we've built with it over time. The controller will be in very limited uh, supply and run for $99. You can find it online at microsoftstore.com or at your local Microsoft store on November 14th. Again, this will be in very limited supply. Um, additionally, they're also releasing a line of like DPM Studio Xbox merchandise with like shirts, a hoodie, and things like that. So be able to be sure to check that out on the Xbox store if you're also interested in more. Uh, I'd go ahead and look on this, look at this controller at least online. It's a, I don't think it's, it's not my thing. I wouldn't spend a hundred dollars on it. Um, obviously it's just a standard Xbox controller. The reason why you're paying more than your standard 60, $70 is because it's like a name brand, a, a kind of collaboration. So they have to pay for that, that license and that collaboration and everything as well. Uh, but it is an interesting looking controller. So I do recommend you check that out. It kind of warps the pattern of camo. Uh, the, I think the one they're doing is like green, blue, and white. It's just, it's really interesting looking. I, I'll say that not, not cool necessarily, just interesting. But if you're interested in checking that out, um, go ahead and, and look at pictures of that and then make sure you're ready to buy it on November 14th because it's probably going to be really hard to find like that Sea of Thieves controller I still wish I had. But our, our next story is that WWE 2K20 uh, recently released and has been a complete bust performance-wise if you haven't already seen. While this certainly spells out trouble for the game, for us who enjoy completely broken games and the funny glitches that come with it as a result, uh, the game has been... Uh, a complete treasure for us. Just look up this game on YouTube and enjoy the plethora of videos showing off the game's myriad problems. Publisher 2K promises patches are on the way, but it is hard to think that the game like this will be an easy one to turn around. Seriously, watch some of these videos if you haven't. I think Video Game Donkey has an amazing one. This game's a fucking mess. You've got like people driving ATVs floating over it. You've got like people picking up chairs, but the chairs are floating and like faces ripping off. It looks like those deleted Shrek 2 animation things on the DVD. I don't know who would know what I'm talking about, but it's it's a fucking mess. It's hilarious. The broken mess that is WWE 2K20 comes as the first major bust for the popular and long-running franchise. Earlier this year, it was announced that 2K would part ways with Ukes, who has been developing the WWE games for many years. Instead, 2K handed the franchise off to their own sports game developer, Visual Concepts, who have a long history in sports game development, dating back to the 90s when they were owned by Sega. While this bust of a wrestling game certainly sucks for fans of the genre, the good news is that developer Ukes has since begun working on their own wrestling game since being removed from the WWE franchise. Here's hoping that they can bring back normalcy to the fans, and in the meantime for us, please enjoy the buggy mess that is WWE 2K20. And then our final story, and this is kind of one of the more uh, important ones, Pertaining to Ubisoft, during a financial call, Ubisoft co-founder and CEO Yves Gamont announced that a handful of upcoming games, namely Watch Dogs Legion, Rainbow Six Quarantine, and Gods and Monsters, which was announced back at E3, have all been delayed into Ubisoft's fiscal 2020-2021, which runs from April 1st, 2020 to March 31st, 2021. During the call, Guillemot said, quote, we've decided to postpone the release of Gods and Monsters, Rainbow Six Quarantine, and Watch Dogs Legion until 2020 to 2021. While each of these games has already had a strong identity and high potential, we want our teams to have more time to develop and ensure that their respective innovations are perfectly implemented so as to deliver optimal experiences for players. This decision will have a very significant impact on the financial results for the fiscal year and goes against our recent success in building more stable development model. However, it is it is in line with our strategy to maximize the future value of our brands for the long-time benefit of our employees, players, and shareholders. We expect that it has a, it will have a positive impact on our financial performance as far as 2020 to 2021 goes. End quote. So this news comes on the back of Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which recently released and has severely underperformed both commercially and critically. And despite performing relatively well, the Division 2, released earlier this year, has also failed to meet sales expectations. So this was Ubisoft being pretty blunt and straightforward about some lack of performance in, in their franchises and their kind of fear of the performance of these future titles and saying that they really need to double down on quality and really nailing these games in order to hit that critical success mark uh, while also not fatiguing the audience and kind of uh, throwing out too many games that are just going to flop potentially because... Ubisoft is a studio that relies on a lot of bigger games and not so much a lot of smaller games. And Ubisoft usually puts out games of pretty high quality. They tend to be one of those publishers that puts out a fair amount of games every year in games of high quality. So this is very unlike Ubisoft to 
have a flop like Ghost Recon Breakpoint, especially because the last Ghost Recon game, uh, Wildlands, which came out, what, two years ago, which is like the first one in this new kind of Ghost Recon era, did pretty well both commercially and, and critically. Actually, I think it did very well commercially. I remember when that game came out, it was it just kept charting on MPD every month for like half the year. Like it did, it did extremely well. Um, so just to see the second one kind of flop like this is very interesting. Uh, but Gilmon continued. He says, first, it's harder to generate in- interest for a sequel to a live multiplayer game, which prior iterations benefited from years of optimization. Consequently, we need to make sure that the game has more time between each iterations of live games. Secondly, our strategy of introducing gameplay innovations into our games has had a very promising impact on our brands. However, to win over players, these innovations need to be perfectly implemented in order to offer optimal experiences. This has not yet been sufficiently the case with Ghost Recon Breakpoint. While the change of the formula has been very well received by some players, with an average daily playtime per player of over three hours, it has also been strongly rejected by a significant portion of the community. Finally, Ghost Recon Breakpoint did not come with enough differentiating factors, which prevented the game's intrinsic qualities from standing out. End quote. And this part, uh, two things. This gets One, this gets exactly to where I think is the problem, the underlying problem. The second thing is that this is just as a side note. This is Gilmont being extremely open. I mean, I, obviously this is investors call, but just as something that is like public knowledge, something that the public has their hands on, he's just being super brutally honest about this. And I really, I, I appreciate that candor, honestly, because this is exactly where I think the problem lies. And it's that you get a game like Ghost Recon Breakpoint that is essentially like additional content to the game that came before Wildlands. Uh, I only played Wildlands for like six hours before I decided it just wasn't my thing, but people seem to really love that game. And from what I've seen a Breakpoint, it looks like it just exactly more of the same shit, which leads people to be like, well, why is that not just DLC? Why is that not just expansion? Why is that just not added content? These games that we play as like open world life service games, these kinds of destiny experiences, why are we not just expounding upon upon the same exact game instead of just releasing sequel after sequel. It's the same reason why some people are just like, why did we need a Destiny 2? Why didn't we just keep evolving Destiny? Which I think now, especially that Bungie owns Destiny and it isn't tied to Activision, I think that's really more apparent than ever before. It's just like these sequels are kind of unnecessary. These games have these dedicated player bases. It's not about growing the player base. It's about it's about sustaining the player base and satiating the players and keeping them there and not making them go elsewhere. Like just the fact like that one of the games they're delaying is Rainbow Six Quarantine, which is like, why are you even making Rainbow Six Quarantine when Rainbow Six Siege keeps growing month over month? It keeps performing well. That the game has just done so well, and yet they're going to make a sequel to it. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to split the player base. Why are you doing that? Why don't you just keep updating Rainbow Six Siege? Why don't you just keep adding new content, adding new events? adding new whatever the hell it is people like, whether it's skins. I know skins are a big thing gamers love. They love skin. It's like, why are you doing that when you can just expound on what you've already built? And this is just, I think, the big problem. And what Ubisoft seems to be learning, uh, which is that they should just double down on on successful platforms they've already built rather than needing to constantly make sequels. You know, Far Cry is one thing. Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, make sequels. Those are self-contained, one-off games, right? But a game like The Division, it doesn't necessarily need a sequel as long as the player base is still there craving more content. All you got to do is just make more content. But, you know, companies get greedy and we have this kind of traditional mindset of once a game gets X amount of years old, it's time to make a sequel to it. You know, what happens in the next iteration? But in this new era where we have these games that kind of exist as a service, like your Fortnites and stuff, you just you just don't always need a sequel. Sometimes it just you just need to keep refreshing the content, adding and building and expanding the world of that game rather than saying, okay, this is where game one stops, hard stop, and now we all jump on board to game two. I get the idea, but it just doesn't, I don't think it really translates as well in today's ecosystem. Um, but good on Ubisoft for calling themselves out and for, for really holding themselves accountable for the success and failure of their own games. And hopefully this delayed time and kind of time to reflect and, and reassess uh, will result in just higher quality content and better, more fully in tune with the community kind of approach from Ubisoft going forward. And so that's going to do it for our news this week. I know it's been a long one, talking a lot about Call of Duty, talking about a lot, a lot about the Outer Worlds, doing a lot of tangents, doing a lot of pumpkin spice, all that good stuff. It's Halloween. We're all having a good time. Let's wrap up this week's uh, episode with just our games of the week and our November games of gold, which will begin tomorrow. So yeah, this game, this week, there's surprisingly not a lot of games. Thankfully, we're finally getting over the bulk of this year's game releases. So just 10 new games 
coming out. A couple of them are actually of interest, but of course I won't tell you that. I'll just judge them based off a screenshot and uh, really undermine the hard work of these developers. Our first game is called After Party. It's on Game Pass on release day. I'm actually really interested in playing this. It's from the creators of Oxenfree, but instead of speaking highly of it, I'm just going to say clearly this game is a stupid game. It uh, takes place in a bar and there's some dead people and it's, uh, it's a hipster game because the guy you play as has purple hair, so it's probably for uh, it's probably for fucking alt alt left, whatever that means. Uh, and then our next game is called Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz HD. This is a remake of a Wii game, but now it's on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and everything. And the only notable thing about this game is that y- once you beat it, you can play as Sonic the Hedgehog. So that's why I'm actually going to play it. Uh, but one thing to also notice is. You know, if you're going to make a game HD, if you're going to remake a Wii game and put it on Xbox and make it HD, you should at least Xbox One X enhance it. Uh, but since they don't enhance it, there's a huge flaw in this game, and it's that the monkey you play as is constantly trapped in a bubble. You're constantly in this ball the whole time. So if you could enhance that, you could probably pop the bubble and get out of it and explore this vast world of banana collecting. But because they refuse to Xbox One X enhance it, you'll just have to play this stupid monkey game in a ball rolling around, which I know nobody would want to do. Our next game is called Xeno Crisis. It's a it's a return to form for our indie games. It's a it's a shooter game. It's a pixel game. It's a good game. It's a really good game. You should download it. Um, but it's not as good as this next game, which is called Police Chase. This next game is about chasing police, or I, I can't tell based off the name if it's about chasing police or if it's about police chasing you. But but what's important to note is this police car that shows in the screenshot is one out in the middle of fucking nowhere, which makes no sense, and two it looks like a fucking BMW with the police logo on it. So whatever fictional universe this takes place in. I would be very upset as a citizen because I would not want my hard pay, my hard-earned tax dollars going to buy BMWs for cops when you could buy a car a fraction of the price uh, and it would be just as sufficient for police officers. That's really my only gripe is just way, wasting tax dollars like that. Um, but, you know, it could it could be that this is just your traditional like Ford police vehicle uh, and that the reason why my eyes deceive me and make me think I'm looking at a BMW is because, indeed, this game is Xbox One X enhanced. So it could just be the enhancements of the Xbox One, N- uh, One X tricking my senses into thinking I'm seeing something I'm not. Uh, and that's very likely the case. Our next game, keeping with the Xbox One X enhanced stuff, we're looking at close to the sun. Uh, but judging by the screenshot, um, there is no sun in sight because we're in an indoor laboratory basement type environment. There is an electrical force that is going off and zapping the entire room. But I guess this is a, a alternate world where the sun has become a self-contained electrical unit, um, which is kind of, I think, in a way, a commentary on consumerism. Uh, because we just keep buying and buying, but we never really consider uh, that at the end of the day, if you live in Florida, everything's going to get burned up by that fucking unbearable sun. Uh, Inferno 2 Plus is our next game. Uh, I was a bigger fan of Inferno 1 Plus. Delta Squad comes after that. It's a top-down twin-stick shooter set in the universe where you shoot zombies. It's so original. I've literally never seen anything like that, but I'll probably play it anyway because I love twin-stick shooters. Uh, there's a Russian name in there somewhere, so just be aware that you're probably being watched and having your elections hacked if you support that game. Uh, Citadel, Forged with Fire is our next game. So this is one of those games where you play as like a wilderness medieval boy and you fight monsters and creatures and you get to explore open environments and you get to you get to exercise player agency by creating your character and you get to use a staff and you get to manage an inventory and all those things I know you guys love doing so much so you get to do that for 70 hours instead of having an actual fucking life uh, but the good the good aspect of it is despite being an RPG it's Xbox One X enhanced and then our last two games of the, of the week we've got Race with Ryan if you don't know who Ryan is he's a popular YouTube he's like four years old and I'm super jealous of him because he gets all the cars toys that I don't get. And then the last game is called Jalopy. So speaking of speaking of cars, um, this is a game. I'm pretty sure this has been on PC for a pretty long time, and now it's just coming to console. Uh, but yeah, you, you just you just play as this jalopy. You maintain and care for your uh, six your, your old shitty car. Um, but the thing is, you, you're at a gas pump in this game. So my guess is that your car breaks down this gas station. And you're there just trying to pump it with gas. So, like, you're trying to fix a car. You're trying to work on a car. It's like a car mechanic simulator. But all you really have at your disposal is a car pump, is a gas pump to really work on the car. So, it's like, it's like oh, it needs a spark plug chain. Well, we're going to have to make do with this gasoline. Oh, what's that? The alternators, the alternator went bad or something. The alternator expired and it soured. Oh, well, we'll just have to use this gasoline to fix the car. Oh, what's that? You got a flat tire? Build the tire up with gasoline. So, it's, it's a really interesting game. It's really about 
using what you have at your disposal to try to make the most of a bad situation. So I'm really into games like that. It's really about supporting a positive attitude and 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 kind of being resourceful. Uh, and then lastly, to wrap up this week, we've got, of course, our Games with Gold. Tomorrow is November, if you didn't know, you stupid idiots. So we got new games coming. Uh, we got an Xbox original game. We got a 360 game and two Xbox One games. So let's go over real quick. Our first game throughout the entire month of November is Sherlock Holmes, The Devil's Daughter. Yeah. And then our next game is called The Final Station. I swear to God, The Final Station has been on Games with Gold before. It's a twin-stick shooter. It's it's uh, Maybe it's been on PS Plus before. I swear I've gotten this game for free somehow, somewhere once before. But, the, you know, you got that from the second half of November through the mid-half of December. And then our two um, older games, we've got Star Wars Jedi Starfighter, available for the first half of November. And this is an OG Xbox game, so that's pretty cool. Backwards compatible, of course. This game takes place, like, right after Episode One. Uh, and the reason why you're getting a Star Wars game in November uh, for Games of Gold is because we've got Jedi Fallen Order coming out. We're doing a little synergy. We're doing a little cross-promotion. Um, and then the last game we have here is Joyride Turbo, which is available from the or the second half of November through the last day of the, of the month. Uh, and Joyride I, Turbo, I think that's the second in the Joyride franchise. That was that game that Xbox announced as a free-to-download uh, thing that would be usable uh, it was like an Xbox. It was supposed to be like an Xbox Live game. You'd be able to download for free and play as your avatar and race. It was like a kart racer, and and then they went back on that, and then like it came out like a year or two later, and it was not free to play, and no one played it, and it was dumb. I think Joyride Turbo is. I thought they made one that was like a connect version of it, but this is just Joyride Turbo. So if you like kart racing, if you like playing as your Xbox avatar, that's pretty cool. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox on as always effective, like last week or whatever. I'm going to start ending the show with a new song every week by my buddy, Eric Hudson. You may know him as BB murder case. That's his music, musical name. He's a musical boy and this is his musical song. So happy Halloween to everyone. Thank you so much as always for listening. If you want to follow me on Instagram and social media for my spooky uh, social media content, find me at the address Han Brolo. And then uh, take it away, Eric. Let's 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 round out. Put me out of my fucking misery and end this week.